Hi, this is Shiva P. Raman from Johns Hopkins University. So let's continue our survey of diffuse liver diseases on CT by concluding with vascular disorders of the liver. And let's talk a little bit briefly about hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia, or HHT, also known as Osler-Weber-Rendu syndrome. And as all of you know, this is an autosomal dominant disorder that results in multiple telangiectasias and AVMs throughout the body. Now, I think most of the time when we're taught about HHT, whether it's in a residency or a fellowship setting, we think about it most often in terms of pulmonary AVMs, right? We learn about them on our IR rotations, and we learn about which situations in which to embolize or treat uh, pulmonary AVMs and when not to. But I think it's less well appreciated that HHT very commonly can involve the upper abdomen, and in particular, can involve the liver. 75% of patients with HHT will ultimately have hepatic involvement, and I'd say some of the patients that I've seen with HHT of the liver have been amongst the most impressive CT scans I've ever seen. These patients can get massive arteriovenous and portovenous shunting, large vascular lakes, huge AVMs, large vascular malformations throughout the liver, and I've seen plenty of these patients ultimately go on to develop cirrhosis and end-stage liver disease because of extensive shunting through the liver. Now, HHT, as I mentioned before, can have some really dramatic CT findings. First of all, because of all the shunting of blood through the liver, every one of your vessels going to the liver tends to be really dilated. Your aorta is going to be huge. You can have hepatic arteries twice the size of the aorta, dilated hepatic veins, dilated portal veins, and they tend to fill at really bizarre times. Oftentimes, even though you're in an arterial phase, your portal veins and the hepatic veins may be super bright and fill really early. Your liver tends to show really, really heterogeneous enhancement, and you're going to get large vascular malformations, telangiectasias, and even large pooling of blood, so-called vascular lakes. So here's an example, one of the most dramatic cases that I've seen. Notice how there's this bizarre pattern of enhancement in the background of the liver. This diffuse area of hypervascularity, there's these AVMs, there's shunting, the hepatic artery is absolutely humongous, it's twice the size of the aorta, and you've got these massively dilated IVC and hepatic veins. Huge. Classic example of HHT, and when you look up at the chest, this patient had multiple different pulmonary AVMs. Now these patients are at real risk for developing significant sequelae as a result of this. They can go on to develop heart failure, and in particular right-sided heart failure, as in this patient who's got a dilated right atrium and right ventricle. They can go on to even develop cirrhosis as a result of shunting of blood through the liver. Here's yet another example. Huge hepatic artery, size of the aorta, dilated hepatic veins and portal veins, and these bizarre pattern, this bizarre pattern of enhancement throughout the liver with multiple telangiectasias and AVMs. Now, these are some really dramatic cases, but I don't want to make it sound like every one of these cases is going to be super obvious. Here's an example of a patient with a relatively milder form of the disease. Notice how in the left hepatic lobe in particular, there are multiple small telangiectasias and vascular malformations, these small tangles of abnormal vessels. And it'd be really easy to walk right over that. But in this case, the patient had a known history of HHT, had multiple pulmonary AVMs. So with that history, you've got to look really carefully at the liver for any signs of subtle vascular malformations. So I'd like to finish up by talking a little bit about portomesenteric venous thrombosis, which I think is going to be the most important of the vascular disorders of the liver. And I'm going to talk about each of these two entities separately. We'll start by talking about portal vein thrombosis, and then we'll move on and talk about SMV thrombosis separately. Now, portal vein thrombosis is quite common. And I'd say the vast majority of cases that I see in my practice result from either cirrhosis or, or cirrhosis and portal hypertension. Now, as all of you know, as you get worsening cirrhosis and portal hypertension, you tend to get slower and slower flow within the portal vein until you get complete stasis of flow. And at that point, especially given that these patients are intrinsically hypercoagulable as a result of their underlying liver disorder, they're going to be at high risk of developing portal vein thrombosis.
And this is pretty common. About 1% of patients with cirrhosis and portal hypertension are going to go on to develop portal vein thrombosis. There are other causes as well, of course, patients who are intrinsically hypercoagulable, patients who have had recent surgery, or even patients who have an underlying malignancy. Now, the findings of uh, portal vein thrombosis on CT are exactly what you'd expect. You're going to see a filling defect within the vein, and assuming that it's bland thrombus, that thrombus should show absolutely no enhancement. Now, in the acute setting, it's going to look like a discrete filling defect, but over time, as that thrombus evolves, you're going to see areas of mural thickening often associated with calcification. Now, if you get complete thrombosis of the portal vein, which is pretty much occlusive, and you're not going to be able to get any blood through, you're going to start to develop multiple collateral vessels in the porta hepatis and surrounding the central portal vein, and that's so-called cavernous transformation. Now, the one thing you want to be on the lookout for is the distinction between bland and malignant portal vein thrombus. Anytime you see enhancement within the, tumor, uh, within the thrombus, particularly if there's arterial hypervascularity, you need to think about the so-called thread and streak sign. And that's a sign that the patient has tumor thrombus rather than just simple bland thrombus. Now, the distinction between malignant and benign portal vein thrombosis is really, really important. Now, 35% of patients with HCC will ultimately develop malignant portal vein thrombus, and that's a big deal. These patients have a poor prognosis with really high rates of recurrence even when they're treated. Patients with a malignant portal vein thrombus, thrombus are no longer candidates for liver transplantation, and unfortunately, their only real options are going to be systemic chemotherapy. On the other hand, if you diagnose the patient as having bland thrombus rather than tumor thrombus, liver transplantation is still potentially going to be an option. So here's a great example of bland thrombus. Discrete filling defect in the main portal vein, no enhancement, no arterial hypervascularity, classic bland thrombus. This patient doesn't have tumor thrombus. Now, oftentimes, perfusion abnormalities in the liver can be, a, uh, can be a sign that the patient does have a problem with the portal vein. Notice in this example, the patient has thrombosed their left portal vein, and there's diffuse perfusional abnormality in the left hepatic lobe. Now, the exact extent of the perfusional abnormality can really vary from patient to patient. In some cases, because of arterial hypervascularity compensating for that portal vein thrombosis, you may see actually hypervascularity in the involved portions of the liver. Although in other patients, you may actually see hypodensity or hypotenuation in the involved portions of the liver because of diminished flow through the portal vein. Anytime you see abnormal perfusion on the arterial phase, you need to look really carefully at the portal vein branches to make sure you're not missing a subtle portal vein clot. Notice in this example, there's subtle clot within the port posterior division of the right portal vein. Now, that'd be really easy to walk right over. I think I wouldn't blame a lot of you if you didn't see it. But in this case, on the arterial phase images, notice how there's a large wedge-shaped area of hypervascularity in the right hepatic lobe as a result of that portal vein clot that should draw your eye right towards the abnormality. Always use perfusional abnormalities to your benefit to make the right diagnosis. As I mentioned before, if you completely occlude your portal vein, it's not at all uncommon to develop multiple large collateral vessels in the central portion of the porta hepatis and surrounding the main portal vein. The formation of these collaterals is called cavernous transformation, and even if you can't see the main portal vein itself, the presence of these collaterals should alert you to the fact that the patient's main portal vein is completely gone. Making the distinction between bland and tumor thrombus is absolutely critical. In fact, I think it's the most important thing you need to do as a radiologist when confronted by clot within the portal vein. Here's an example where it would be disastrous for you to say that that's just bland thrombus. This is tumor thrombus. 
Notice how there's vascularity within that thrombus. It's actually distending the main portal vein. There are areas of actual enhancement within the thrombus with multiple areas of neovascularity. Now, I, can actually, I cannot actually see the primary tumor within the liver on these images, but this patient had an HCC, and we said that this was almost certainly tumor thrombus, and one study later, a couple of months later, you could see a large HCC in the left hepatic lobe directly contiguous with the tumor thrombus. The easiest way to make this diagnosis is if you see frank hypervascularity within the thrombus. This is the so-called thread and streak sign. Multiple thread and streak areas of hypervascularity within the thrombus, which make it beyond a reasonable doubt that this is in fact tumor thrombus rather than just bland thrombus. Any vascularity within thrombus is abnormal and should make you automatically think about tumor thrombus rather than simple bland thrombus. Now, if you're, mo if you're really lucky, it's not going to be a diagnostic dilemma. You're going to be able to see direct contiguity between thrombus in the portal vein and an actual mass within the liver. So here's an example where there's a large hypervascular mass in the right hepatic lobe that's washing out in the venous phase images and is directly invading the right portal vein. Any contiguity between a mass and the portal vein thrombus, you have to say that it's likely going to be malignant portal vein thrombus. And that's true even if you don't see enhancement within the thrombus itself. In this example, there's a large heterogeneous mass in the right hepatic lobe that's directly contiguous with portal vein clot, both within the right portal vein, but also extending into the main and left portal veins as well. Now, even though I don't see a lot of vascularity or enhancement within that thrombus, I have to say that that's almost certainly going to be malignant portal vein thrombus because it's directly contiguous with a primary hepatic mass lesion. So why don't we conclude by talking about SMB thrombosis, which I think is a critical diagnosis to make and one that I'm always trying to stress to our residents. Now, SMB thrombosis, I'd say in the vast majority of cases, is in patients who are intrinsically hypercoagulable. Most of the cases that I've seen have either been in patients with a known hypercoagulability syndrome or alternatively, someone who has a hypercoagulability syndrome discovered once they enter the hospital. But I've also seen other causes as well, including patients with septic thrombophlebitis resulting from inflammatory conditions in the abdomen, things like appendicitis or even diverticulitis. We also see our fair number of cases at Hopkins that are iatrogenic, patients who have, who have had extensive abdominal surgeries with subsequent postoperative thrombosis of the SMV. So here's a great example a large thrombus within the SMV, and this patient actually has bowel ischemia with multiple thickened loops of bowel in the left, hepatic lo in the, in the left aspect of the abdomen. SMV thrombosis is a critical diagnosis for us as radiologists to make. When I talk to our residents, and specifically when I teach the beginning residents who are just starting their residencies, I always make it a point to tell them, you have to look at the SMV in every case, and that's going to be doubly true anytime you have a patient who has either recently been operated upon or who comes in with abdominal pain. All too often, I've seen SMV thrombus missed, and usually it's because it's a short-segment thrombus you bypass when you're looking at the axial images, and you don't take the time to look at the SMV in the coronal plane. If you make it a point to look at the SMV in the coronal plane on every case, this is a diagnosis that you're not going to miss. And just remember, missing SMV thrombosis can be critical. These patients can develop bowel ischemia and even can die as a result of it. So here's another example. This patient develops septic thrombophlebitis as a result of right-sided cecal diverticulitis. Notice how there's fat stranding and inflammation in the central abdomen, and there's a filling defect within the SMV. Again, this is a diagnosis you're not going to miss if you look at the SMV in the coronal plane on every single case. Make it a part of your standard search protocol, and you're never going to miss this diagnosis. So in summary, I think MDCT is exceptionally valuable in the evaluation of diffuse liver disease. But that being said, I think it's 
important for us not to solely concentrate on the imaging appearance, but to realize that many of these entities have overlapping imaging appearances, so you have to utilize clinical information and laboratory work to your benefit. Secondly, I think it's really important to recognize how important it is to have up-to-date MDC-CT protocols when you're trying to evaluate hepatic disorders. You have to have the right protocols in place because diagnosing many of the entities that I've shown you was highly dependent on imaging in the correct phase. If you don't have the right protocols in place, the right phases of imaging, you're not going to be able to make the right diagnosis. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you guys soon again. Thanks. Thanks.